Bibles to Job chapter 29. So on uh, your pew Bible there in front of you, it's on page uh, 367. It's Job chapter 29. As you're turning there, I just want to remind you again about these booklets. Um, I really love these. I know this is a complete aside, but I just want to just really want to commend them to you, because uh, I know, I mean, one of the biggest struggles in discipling, I think one of the biggest struggles in discipling your children is preparation, is preparing and getting, getting things ready. This book comes with, uh, what, what all's in this book is there's hymns in this book, so I know some of us like to sing with our children. I'm always like, well, what song do I want? <laughs> it's like, well, open it up, there's your hymn. It gives uh, a catechism, which is basically just memorizing, uh, like I said, some of the the questions. And then it also gives Bible memory. Uh, So all these pieces, you don't have to collect them. I know in discipling our kids, it's like, where do I start? What do I give them? Okay, John 3.16, what next? It's like, so this book just gives a real, I just really commend it to you. uh, Because Simeon's really enjoyed it. Every night we get ready for bed, he's like, book book, <laughs> puts to the book, and he's like, okay, he knows that's where we, that's where we go. So just really commend it to you, uh, if not for you, maybe for a family member. So Job chapter 29, um, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read down to verse 5, and then we're going to handle the whole chapter, I hope, today. Okay, Job 20, 29, starting in verse 1. And Job, again, took up his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in my prime, when the friendship of God was upon my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were all around me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, your word is solid. It is a bedrock by which we stand. So, Father, form us, form our hearts, form our minds on the bedrock of that word here this morning. Do that work. Do your work within us, Holy Spirit, we pray. By your spirit, for your glory, through your word, we pray. We ask now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you've been following where we've been at um, the last several weeks, we've been in the book of Job. um, And if you remember where where Job is at, if Job starts up here, the book starts up here with Job's initial state, we watched him fall all the way down to where all his possessions were gone. And then last week we concluded, or two weeks ago we concluded, um, with the end of the first cycle of arguments. His friends come to him and they, they argue with him. Now, we've skipped about 13, 15 chapters. It's 15 chapters of arguments. If you want to go read them, more, more, more power to you. But it's basically the same thing over and over and over again of what we already read. So imagine 15 other chapters of just arguments. We skipped that. Uh, we're coming now to Job's summary, what's called Job's summary defense, or his, his um, final, final plea with these friends. Now, the book of Job, as we've talked about, it's a photo negative. If you remember what a photo negative is, it's basically the inverse of an image. The book of Job is, an, is a photo negative of, of Christ in that way. 
And, and we're meant to see in the book of Job a lot of questions with little answers. And that's the way the book, book of Job is actually designed. It's made to make you question and wonder and ask. But today we're going to see a little bit different of that photo negative. Job's not going to ask any questions. What he's going to give us is longings. And what I mean by longings are, are deep, what I would almost call like heart aches of the soul that, that yearn towards something, okay? And I want you to see this. So the title for the day today is called The Longings of the Soul Hungering for Home. The Longings of the Soul Hungering for Home. And I wonder, let me just ask you a question just by way of introduction. I wonder, have you ever considered, maybe you're a daydreamer, I'm not necessarily a daydreamer, but what, have you ever considered the contents of your daydreams? Like when, when life is in neutral, kind of, or, you, or you're relaxed, the, the thoughts that circulate in your head when you have nothing else to ponder, the contents of the mind as you're just relaxing. Have you ever thought about those? I wonder what the, you'd think they reveal about your own daydreams. What about when, you're desire, when, when life feels a little uncomfortable, when you're sick of work, or when the kids are just too much and, and life feels uncomfortable? Where does your mind retreat to? And I would call these your daydreams. These daydreams, I would argue, are the heart longings of what we most want. They're the heart longings of what we most want. Now, this is revealing. It's meant to be revealing. Because our hearts sometimes are often not located in a way that God's Word says they should be. Now, what I want us to see today, if you're taking notes, see this. That since... Our hearts yearn toward the ultimate. We must pursue shaping our hearts according to God's Word. Okay, since our hearts yearn toward the ultimate, we must pursue shaping our hearts according to God's Word. Now, don't be mistaken. There is no way, there is zero chance of you eliminating desire. You can't, you can't, I grew up thinking this, I think, I would argue I did, that I need to just get rid of all my desire, all my bad desire, just get rid of it and be neutral. And you cannot do that. It is, it is impossible. You can't stop longing or yearning this side of eternity. God has made us in such a way, actually. The ache and the yearn for something, and we're going to see today in Job, a, a longing or a yearning towards something ultimate. Now, one last, one last piece, just as a reminder. Job acts in two ways, two real main fronts. He acts prophetically, pointing forward, and he acts exemplary, in that he leaves us an example. So, I want you to look at this first section. This first section is longing for friendship, the desire for companionship. Notice what he says uh, in verse 2. Uh, he says, oh, oh, that I were as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me. I think another translation hits it well, and they say, uh, they say this, uh, I long for the years gone by when God took care of me. And notice, that should be very surprising to us. Job has had everything he had, all his possessions stripped away from him. He's, he's had all his possessions stripped away. He's had all his health taken away. And this is what he says. He could have said, I just want my children back. 
He could have, and that would not have been wrong, necessarily. He could have said, I want all my livestock back. I want all my servants back. And those things are okay, but notice what he says. I long for the years gone by when God took care of me. I think what's the most surprising thing about verses 2 and 3, now listen to what he says in verse 3. He says, when his lamp shone upon my head, and when his light I walked through darkness, or, and, with his li- and by his light I walked through darkness. The days when God would shine a lamp upon Job's head, and he was able to walk in the presence of the Lord. Now, remember, Job was fully aware that the Lord has allowed this evil to come upon him. He knows that the Lord is not to blame, but he's aware that the Lord is sovereign over this situation. But here's a problem. Notice what he says in verse 2 again. He says, Oh, that I, was, I were in, as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me. He's starting to make an assumption. Remember, there's been three different rounds of these friends just beating him. Just beating him. And notice how the implication of what he's saying in verse 2. As in the days of old, when God watched over me. He's essentially saying, God's not really watching over me anymore. And, and we know that that's not wrong. Or that that's, that, that, that that's wrong. And I want you to see that humans are meaning-making machines. Humans are meaning-making machines. This isn't in your notes, but... I want you to think about um, when you go to a library when you return a book to a library, you, you take the book and you put it in a little box and they have all these books in this box and the library, they go and they pick up all the books and they have them all categorized by genre, they ca- categorized by number, all, all these different things. They're categorized. Every time a book is returned, they put them in its proper place. And humans are really a lot like a library in that way. Everything that happens to us, we... we put it in its proper place. We make meaning of it. Oh, well, this, this book goes over here, and this, this is in genre, this is in mystery, we put that book over here. The problem is, is that Job's categories are wrong. He's starting to, to he, he started off really well, but now he's starting, after all this berating, he's starting to, to waffle a little bit. We make order and meaning out of everything, and Job is starting to misplace his meaning. And his, he's doing so by this, that God's blessing cannot equal God's pleasure. See, he's, he's starting to move in this direction of saying, okay, well, my life has been stripped away from me, so therefore, God must not be ha- happy with me any longer. And he was correct in saying that God allowed this misfortune, but he's incorrect. He's categorically deceived in saying that God's mad at him, because he's not. We've heard the Lord's opinion of him. He's, he's not angry at him. I love what Stephen Lawson said. He said, the presence of affliction and suffering. I hope this quote's up there. It's long, yeah. The presence of affliction and suffering is not proof of God's displeasure. I want to say that one more time. For anybody who's walked through suffering, this is, this is what begins to creep in. The presence of affliction and suffering is not proof of God's displeasure, nor is the absence of affliction and suffering proof of God's favor. Rather, affliction and suffering are from God and may or may not occur because of our actions. From this side of heaven, no one can be sure. But we can be sure that God uses all human suffering and affliction for His glory. Since Job is beginning to see 
God being against him. His desire is extremely is important for him. Notice what, I want you to notice, though, what's important here. So he's, he's starting to get categorically deceived, and we'll see that. He actually says that he was wrong in what he said about the Lord near the end. But I want you to notice what he's longing for. He says in verse 2, Oh, that I were as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me. What's he longing for exactly? And I would argue he's longing for friendship. He's longing for friendship with God. Listen to what he says in verse 4. He says, As I was in my prime, when the friendship of God was upon my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were all around me. Now, he says here, notice what he says. He says, as I was in my prime. Now, that word for prime could also be rendered like autumn days or harvest, basically saying that like as he was in his prime, it's not saying like, oh, this was the prime of my life as we understand it. It's more of just saying like he was in the harvest of his life. He had children. He had all these different things happening. He says, as I was in the prime of my life, when the friendship of God was upon my tent, that's the piece again. Notice what he's doing with it. He's saying, that's what's important to me, that God's friendship is what's ultimate here. Numbers, Numbers 6, 24 through 26, this is often read at weddings. This is what he's asking for. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. That's what Job's asking for. He's asking for the Lord's face to shine upon him again. And he goes on, listen to it in verses 4 through 6 again. He says, when I was in my prime, God's friendship was felt in my home. The Almighty was still with me, and my children were all around me. And my steps were awash in cream, and the rocks gushed olive oil for me. Now, I want you to notice what he does with his children, because I think this is where most of us would go. Now, he's asking about his children, but the way that he understands his children is not as selfish, these are my children. He says, the Almighty, in verse 5, the Almighty was still with me, and my children were around me. He's, he's honoring them, or he's looking at them as though they were a gift. And even the things he had, he's, he's talking about like that, that, word, that word there in verse 6, that my steps were, my steps were washed with butter and my rock poured out of the olive oil. I, I want you to notice those are two idioms, basically meaning that like he was really rich. He basically bathed, bathed his feet in cheese curds. <laughs> and he was so wealthy that the olive oil was coming out of the rock. But neither of those things, all of those things in mind, the children, the cheese curds, the life of luxury he lived, none of those are as compelling as the friendship of God. And Job's longings are instructive for us. Because oftentimes, let me just give you an example. My wife, when we first got married, was chronically ill. And oftentimes what happens in suffering is something what we really started to see, well, at least what I started to see in my own heart, is my prayer life really resorted back to, Lord, heal her. Lord, Lord heal her. Just, just, just fix this whole situation. And nothing changed for a long time. Now, I'm not saying that everything just magically snapped a finger and life became a lot easier. It didn't. But when my prayer started to be, Lord, remind me of your presence or show me your presence in the midst of this suffering, everything switched. When I stopped asking for things and started seeing all the things I had in reference to God's friendship, 
everything changed. And I want you to see that, that Christ, and what, this is what Job's longing for, these things are fulfilled in Christ, which is Christ the true friend. And every time I think about Christ as being a friend, I can't help but think of the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Oh, and I'm forgetting the lyrics now as I say that. So, but what a friend we have in Jesus. But John 15, 13 through 15, Job is longing for something that Jesus promised us. This is what he says. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And now he says, so that, that's the greatest measure of love, that someone lay down their life for your, your friends. Oh yeah, by the way, you are my friends if you do what I command. Brothers and sisters, that's for us. Job, Job didn't even realize this in the moment, but he's saying he's hoping for a day that, oh, that God would be my friend. And here in Jesus, we see that we can be friends. Now, don't miss verse 13. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. We can be God's friend because Jesus Christ has laid himself down. That is the only measure by which we are able to be right with God. And that's the thing that Job is desperately longing for. He's desiring for companionship. And Jesus goes on in John 15, and he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Now, I want to, that's the first thing. So longing for friendship. Let me, see, let me show you the second one. It's longing for a Savior. It's longing for a Savior. And now when I, when I mean Savior here, it's, it's more of a desire for justice. When we talk about Savior, we typically mean like Savior by His blood. But what we mean here is, what I want you to see is that He's talking more about justice. It's a desire for justice. Now notice what He says down in verse 7. When he says that he's longing for a savior, he says, When I went out of the gate of the city, when I prepared my seat in the square, the young men saw me and withdrew, and the aged rose and stood, and the princes refrained from talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The voices of the nobles were hushed, and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. Now, you, you would maybe think as you hear this, you're like, wow, so what Job's really wanting is just respect. He just wants some R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That's what he's looking for here. That's, that's, not, that's missing the point, if that's what you're thinking here. So uh, the young men, just think about like even in our own culture, the young men would see him, and they would shrink back because they were f- full, full of folly and foolishness. The age stood as a sign of respect and honor toward Job. The princes, the ones who, kept, who ruled, kept from speaking out of a desire to hear Job's words of wisdom and insight. And the nobles were hushed because the noblest of the nobles were speaking. Now, Job is not asking for R-E-S-P-E-C-T just for the sake of R-E-S-P-E-C-T. He's not looking for respect and dignity for dignity's sake. I want you to notice in verse 12, I think it is, 11 and 12, why Job was so highly honored. This is very important or you'll miss, you'll miss the ish, why he was so concerned about this. He says, when the ear heard, it called me blessed. When the eye saw, it approved. Now why? Notice why. Because I delivered the poor who cried for help, and the fatherless who had none to help. Now Job is longing 
for his own dignity to come back, his own honor, his own respect, so that he may be able to be a blessing to others. Now, that is, that is radically different than what our idea of blessing is. And I want you to see two ideas of blessing. Blessed, blessed with what? That's the real question. What is, is Job blessed with? So he's longing for a Savior, but I want you to see the Western, the Western mindset. When we think of blessing in our minds, immediately it runs to wealth and prosperity. And we maybe would even concede, okay, there's some non-material things, but mainly blessings center on us. It's, it's what I have. It's what I, I, I have here at my disposal, what, what's being done for me, myself, and I. But I want you to take note of something. Job has referenced things associated to him in five verses of this chapter. He's going to spend the next 20 verses talking about others. So blessing in Job's mind is not, what do I have? What blessings do I have here in my midst? And I want, to see, I want you to see biblically blessed. What does it mean to be biblically blessed? And part of what it means to be blessed by God is to be, able to, be, to be able to be a blessing to others. Notice what he says in verse 14. Just jump down there real quick. He says, I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. Now, the justice and the righteousness that we always talk about is typically internal righteousness. But what Job is saying is this internal righteousness has an external reflection and I loved what one, one commentator said. I thought it was very helpful. He said, In an honor-shame-based culture, a person's role and status within the community defines his or her identity. Corporate identity takes precedence over individual identity, and the result from selfhood is shaped primarily by social interaction, not private inward perception. In other words, the self is defined in largely external terms. And when Job talks about his own blessing... He's saying, I'm blessed because I'm able to bless others. Now, notice what, now, now you're going to hear him talk about this blessing. He says in verse 11 and 12, he says, when the ear heard it, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw it, it approved because I delivered the poor who cried for help. And then in 13, he says, the blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me. And I caused the widow, I caused the widow's heart to sing. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his feet. Job is saying that those who were sick came to him. When you were sick, when you were blind, when you were lame, you know who they came to? They came to Job. And Job now looks around and he says, I can't do that anymore. The sick people, they don't come to me anymore. You know why? Because I have nothing to give them. The blind people, they don't come to me anymore. You know why? Because I have nothing to help them with. And he's saying, oh, that God would come and bring a Savior to bring justice. I love what Christopher Ashe went on to say. He said, what Job had experienced in a local sense... Adam had been given before the fall, and Christ will fulfill in a cosmic sense. What Christ fulfills in a cosmic sense, all who are in Christ will experience and enter into in Christ. 
It is precisely because Job's longings are in tune with creation order and redemption promise that his longings contain within themselves the seed for future hope. So, you know what this means for me and you? It means this, that when we see injustice around us, our natural response in suffering is to be like, yeah, they got issues, but mine are worse. Yeah, 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 I know that person's sick, but have you seen my wife? I cannot tell you how many times I sat and thought things like that when my wife was sick. Yeah, 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 I know they got issues, but we have issues of our own. No, no, no. When we see injustice around us, what is our response? For, for there to be a longing or a yearning, a deep desire to see justice come, it is a deeply good thing. So when we see injustices, we shouldn't just be like, well, ah, I've got my own problems. No, 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 no. In Christ, when what we see in Christ is a blessed mindset that moves outward to others. Okay, so that's the longing for a Savior, the desire for justice. I want you to see also the third piece, which is longing for eternity. I want you to remember, this guy, Job, I want you to place this, because sometimes we talk about eternity a lot. I think we do. Job lived at a time that was prior to, arguably, the book of Genesis. He didn't, have, he didn't have all the things that we would think. He just didn't have what we understand uh, when we talk about eternity. But he's longing for eternity, and it's the desire for infinite renewal. Listen to what he says in verse 18. He says, Then I thought, I shall die in my nest, and I shall multiply my days as, as the sand. My roots spread out of the waters with the dew all night on my branches. My glory fresh with me and my bow ever new in my hand. So I want you to see three, in those three verses, three expectations. Job just didn't have the language to, to articulate eternity, okay? But me and you, we have, we have so much language to talk about eternity from biblical revelation. Job didn't have that. But listen to his three longings. Here's the first expectation, that he would die at home with long life. Now, for somebody that was prior to even the Mosaic law, to live long is the closest thing he could get to, to eternity in that sense. And this was something he assumed because he was righteous. So that's the first one. So it's to die at home with a long life. And that's the closest thing he could probably have come to for eternity. But notice number two and three. So expectation two is his righteousness would spread. And as we've seen in Psalm 1 and as we've seen elsewhere, the righteous, the righteous, they spread out like a branch when there's drought. And Job's expectation was, I thought this would come. I thought I was doing all the right things. I thought my righteousness would have spread. And then expectation three is really important as well. He says his glory would be fresh. It's that his glory would be fresh. And what he means by that, listen to what he says in in verse uh, 20. He says, my glory fresh with me and my bow, which the bow represents just strength, my strength ever new in my hand. So this last expectation is ironic, and it should make a person wonder, how could he have expected that? And this is where we need to remember, as we see verses 18 through 20, that Job points beyond himself. 
His expectations were that his glory would be continued to be fresh. Put all three of these expectations together. Now, one, one expectation alone, it wouldn't point us to eternity. But when you consider all three of these expectations, that he die at home with long life, that his righteousness would spread, and that his glory would be fresh, when you put all three of those together, what you find is an aching hole within Job for the eternal. And I would want to call this temporal angst for an eternal hole. Temporal angst for an eternal hole. Now, now other parts, pieces of biblical revelation reveal this to us. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And I would argue that every single time we stand around a graveside, every single time you watch someone that you've loved pass away, there is a deep sense within us that this is not right. Something about this is wrong. It shouldn't be this way. If only we had more time. Blaise Pascal, I think he said it perfectly. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. Job, in this moment, is longing for the eternal, and he's longing for something that's far beyond himself, and that's only seen in Jesus Christ. Now, let's go to this last piece, and then we'll, then we'll close up. This last piece is longing for the royal son. It's the desire for fulfillment. Now, listen to what he says in verses 20, 21 through 25. Now, he goes back to talking about other people talking about him. He says, men listened to me and waited and kept silent for my counsel. After I spoke, they did not speak again. My word and my word dropped upon them. They waited for me as for the rain. They opened their mouths as for the spring rain. I smiled on them when they had no confidence, and the light of my face they did not cast down. I chose their way and sat as chief, and I lived like a king among their, his troops, like one who comforts a mourner. Now, this last section is kind of weird for us, I would argue. It's kind of weird because we, we look at that and we're like, it sounds like Job's just being really selfish. He wants other people to like him. But I want you to see that Job's looking beyond himself, and he's looking for someone who's going to come and rule the day. He's longing for the royal son. Now, the rest of the Bible, I would argue the rest of biblical revelation, points to this as well. Psalm 72 picks up the same idea. It says, give, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. And he picks it up later even in verse 15. He says, long may he live. May the gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessing invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land on the top of the mountains. May it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever, and his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. 
all nations call him blessed. Now, I would argue when you put together all three of these, four of these expectations, the, the longing for friendship, the longing for a savior, the longing for eternity, the longing for a royal son, what it does to us, what it's meant to do to us, is it's meant to, to kind of shock us a little bit. And it's meant to ask us, how on earth can any of this come to pass? How on earth? How, 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 is, how are these the things that Job wants? How, how do our longings match up with what God's, God's glory, God's, who God is in that way? Because he's longing for something that only can be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And now I've, there's a phrase, and it's on your page there at the very bottom, that I think is very helpful. It comes from John Piper, and I think it's, it's been very life-transforming for me in this way. And I want you to see that, that Job is pointing us toward his longings being fulfilled in God alone. And if, if you don't have this piece in, in your understanding of theology, then desires or longings are probably very... Um, confusing. You don't really know what to do with gifts. You don't really know what to do with things that are of this earth. But I want you to notice that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Every single one of these longings that Job longed for, the longing for friendship, the longing for a Savior, the longing for eternity, the longing for a royal son, every single one of them is only satisfied in the person of Jesus. There is, not, there is not one iota for the suffering person that may long for many different things. There is only one thing that will truly satisfy him. And it's the royal son. The royal son who has length of days. The royal son whose righteousness would spread. The royal son whose glory will, will remain fresh forever. C.S. Lewis Let me read this last quote for you, and then I'll I'll go to Lewis. Christopher Ash again, he says, We too should long, as Job did, for the joy of intimate fellowship with our Heavenly Father in Jesus, and for the final joy of governing the cleansed and renewed creation in Christ. Such longings, experienced at best in part in this age, are yearnings of spirit-filled hearts. They will not be disappointed. Now, C.S. Lewis, in one of his Stranger books, he says this, and I think it's very helpful just to place this as we leave. He says, The sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to find the place where all the beauty came from. My country, the place where I ought to have been born. Do you think it meant nothing? All the longing? The longing for home. I would argue that the home that C.S. Lewis is talking about there, if you, could, if you could distill down each of these longings or put them into one category, it's the desire in each of our hearts for home. There's a reason why there's such a nostalgia in our culture, in, in everywhere we look, for this feeling of home. And the reason is, is that we all know how life should have been in the garden. It should have been in God's presence, in His satisfaction, with Him for eternity. But we know that when sin entered, that, that longing was broken from what reality was. And this is where we live. 
We live on, a, on the outside of the garden, which lives in a land of longing for home. And so, brothers and sisters, and you're going to feel this a lot around Christmas, around Thanksgiving, everyone always talks about this, this longing, this desire for home. And let me tell you, it will never be fulfilled in this life. It can't be. It won't be. The longing's not wrong. But what we need to see from Job is that our longings need to be shaped by God's word in that way. And I, I leave that just last quote of God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. Because when that is true, when we are most satisfied in God, he is most glorified in us. And that, that's just what I want you to see as we, as we cl- kind of close up here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us. Uh, I've went a little longer. Uh, but I'm going to pray for us. Uh, and we're going to move then into a time of for Sunday school. Uh, and if you have any questions about today, uh, I just encourage you to talk to me. Uh, I really would love to, to hear your thoughts um, about the sermon, any questions you may have. Uh, but yeah, as you, as you ponder, as we, as we kind of move into Christmas season, this, this feeling of nostalgia, this feeling of home, is going to be present all the time. And at the end of Christmas, you'll probably have the feeling still there of like a, this nagging, like it wasn't really fulfilled, it wasn't quite what I thought it would be. And that nagging is meant to point you back to the one who will fulfill it, which is Jesus. So I just want to close now. I'm going to close us uh, in a time of prayer. So let's pray. Father, thank you that, Lord, you within us place longings and desires and yearnings that point us back to you. And as we've seen, Lord, in Job, the Lord, he's desiring, he's longing for you. And what we're going to see in this book is that, Lord, when you finally show up, all of his answers are made. He doesn't have any more questions. That, Lord, you are the one who will ultimately fulfill us. So, God, help us to believe that. Give us the grace we need to believe that. Give us, give us the grace we need to trust you in it. Thank you, Lord, that you place within us longings that are not fulfilled in this life and that are only fulfilled in you. Do that in us, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.